Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Recovery podcast. This podcast is a platform for education, discussion, and conversations on mental health. I'm your host, Amira Shah, and in this podcast, you'll get to know more about the therapeutic process, insight into life from the perspective of the psyche, and also join me in exploring current issues with other practitioners. I specialize in grief, but I'm always interested in learning about the human experience of the mind, heart, and spirit. So join me on this journey of in-depth learning about ourselves and the world we live in. Welcome back to Science of the Soul. Today I have with me Asaya Mikimi. Asaya is a couples therapist, a sex therapist, a sexologist, you're going to have to tell me what the difference is, and coach who has been helping women and couples discover deeper intimacy and desire for over a decade. She's one of the most qualified sex and relational uh, relationship experts in Australia. She has a master's degree in relational psychotherapy and a master's degree in science in medicine, sexual counseling, and psychosexual therapy. Wow, that's a mouthful. A postgrad diploma of sexology and a certificate from the prestigious Institute for the Advanced Studies of Human Sexuality. This is all in Australia? Uh, no, the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality was in uh, San Francisco. Everything else was in Australia. Wow. Okay. So you've worked with thousands of people. Mm-hmm. You write a popular weekly advice column on sex and relationships, which is news.com under the relationship rehab column. Yeah, that's right. And you are also a lecturer to others studying couples therapy. Um, You've built your reputation on sharing practical tools and getting results for your clients. And I guess your your ethos would be feeling privileged to be able to make a difference in people's relationships and lives. Exactly. Which is very noble. So tell me a little bit about your work and the difference between a sexologist and a sex therapist. Okay, so that's, I know that's a confusing one. A sexologist is someone who studies sex. So someone who has studied sex at, um, at, at uh, postgraduate level. Okay. Um, however, someone who is a sexologist can go into different fields. So you can be a research sexologist, you can be a writer and be a sexologist, Um, you can be a sexologist who um, also does um, occupational therapy, for example, or works with people with disabilities. So um, I'm more of a clinical sexologist um, and a sex therapist. In order to call yourself a sex therapist, you need to have a qualification in therapy, which I do, Mm -hmm. and then also have qualifications in working with people around sexual challenges, which is the master's in um, science of medicine, sexual health that Mm. I have. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling very inadequate right now, but also in awe, so put my crushed ego aside. Um, So you've been doing this for about a decade. Mm, Yeah, a bit longer, nearly 15 years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's quite a while. Yeah. And what are the most common issues that come up? 
So I mostly see couples, but I work with individuals as well. So I see couples who are experiencing challenges, like not being able to come overcome arguments together, finding that they go around in circles when they're trying to talk about difficult topics. Couples who are having challenges in the bedroom as well, for example, they have different desire levels, mm. uh, perhaps one person isn't really enjoying themselves mm. in the bedroom, or they might have other challenges like uh, difficulty reaching orgasm, um, erectile dysfunction, or premature ejaculation. Mm. The singles or the individuals that I work with have often noticed that they're struggling with sexual confidence or mm. the confidence to go into a relationship. So I help them with all of those issues. Okay, so you do relational work essentially, mm -hmm. whether it is within the individual's selves and also within themselves and with their significant others. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So the first part, um, the first group of people that you work with, what is one of the most prevalent issues mm. that come up? So mismatched desire levels is overall the most common issue that, that I work really? with people around. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So couples who, and it's really normal for couples to have different desire levels mm. around sex, especially as, you know, they have children, work gets mm. busy, they've got so many things to juggle in life. That's really normal, but it can also be really challenging to know how to deal with that. So mm -hmm. it becomes a real issue in a relationship where one person ends up feeling frustrated or unloved and the other person doesn't know how to um, perhaps express that or connect. Uh, and it becomes like really a source of tension between a couple. So what are some of the um, emotions that come up? Mm. So for the person that has the higher desire, there's a lot of feeling of rejection, mm -hmm. of frustration, um, of hurt, of mm -hmm. sadness. They want to connect in that really kind of special mm -hmm. way with their partner. And for the person who has the lower desire, um, they often feel really guilty um, and they also feel frustrated. They feel frustrated with themselves that they can't find that desire. They often mm -hmm. feel frustrated with their partner, that their partner keeps asking for something that they're not sure mm -hmm. how to give them. And they can feel sad as well. There's often a lot of anxiety yeah. there too because they worry about what's going to happen to the relationship if they can't find that desire that their partner wants. And I imagine these, while... They sound very specific. I imagine they're quite um, that they, they apply to all age groups Absolutely. as well. Like I can see different scenarios across, like you know, early adulthood or mm -hmm. right after the honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. Basically, after honeymoon period, stretching all the way up into the golden years. Absolutely. So I've worked with couples in their 20s all the way through to couples in their 60s who have struggled okay. with this. Some of them have been arguing about it literally for 20 or 30 what? years. And it's oh. so, it, that's why it's such a privilege mm -hmm. to be able to work with couples to actually start to shift that. So it's mm -hmm. not the elephant in the room. It's not the thing that's causing them tension anymore. Like yeah. sex then becomes joy in the relationship and a really beautiful way for mm -hmm. them to connect so you're saying that i guess talking about it mm -hmm. naming it mm -hmm. takes the anxiety away or brings it down a notch 
Yeah, so there's always three really important areas that I work on okay. with, with couples. The first one is connection, mm-hmm. uh, which is things like staying good friends, having fun mm-hmm. together, sharing appreciation, making sure they just feel loved and respected by each other and, and really close to each other. The next area is communication. So we need the foundation of connection Mm -hmm. to be able to communicate really Mm -hmm. well. So communication is such a big issue in in any relationship. It really can determine. It's not what couples argue about. It's how that determines the happiness Mm -hmm. of their relationship. And most of us aren't taught how to do that well Mm. most of us don't know how to express ourselves well we're not necessarily taught how to listen Mm. and we can either avoid conflict or end up having arguments about it neither of which are helpful Mm. but there's really clear ways that we can talk about issues even issues that are difficult that actually bring us closer together And so when couples can learn to talk about sex really well and talk about how it feels for each of them, they're then better able to work on the issue as a team together. Mm. And that's when we really start to look in depth at the final important area in a relationship, which is sexual intimacy. Mm. And then we can do really fun, practical exercises, things that help them connect physically, um, enjoy themselves more in the bedroom and just feel closer that way. And then that feeds back into more overall connection in their relationship. It's a positive feedback loop. Exactly. But there is foundational work to be done. So first you need to connect with each other, Mm -hmm. so maintain that friendship. So what if what if you have that friendship? Mm. You do have a strong connection, Mm -hmm. but the elephant in the room is still like it almost like a taboo topic or just really difficult to, you know, it's like marbles in your mouth. Well, sex is such a taboo topic. Mm -hmm. Most of us weren't taught how to talk about sex. It's it's a really challenging challenging issue. There's often a lot of worry about Mm -hmm. it and anxiety. And most of us have shame around sex as well because Mm -hmm. there are all these cultural messages we get about it. So even couples who might have had sex together – can really struggle Mm. to talk about it. And when there's so much emotion going on around it because they feel rejected and guilty Mm. and worried, it becomes even harder. Mm. So it is really hard to talk about. And and that's really part of what my job is as a a couples therapist and sexologist Mm -hmm. is to help people have these conversations in a really safe way Mm. so that they can understand each other and then we can take practical steps together so how do you diffuse say for example a moment in the clinic mm. um with your clients which is which would be a couple in this mm. case how do you bridge that first step towards getting them to to say these things because i can imagine it you know like you haven't said it for years or months mm-hmm. or probably years mm-hmm. for a lot of people you just don't even know how to utter them. It's like suddenly your mouth muscles just don't work. Yeah. How, how do you bridge that? Well, it's a really good question and that's some of why um, therapy takes time, right? Mm-hmm. We don't solve everything in the first session. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish we could as therapists and I'm sure you wish that Ding, as well. Magic wand. <laughs> 
Um, but it does take time because this is built up over time, so mm -hmm. it takes time as well. One of the first places that I start with mm -hmm. couples, and I ask this right from the very first time I speak to a couple, is what are their positive goals? Like where mm -hmm. do they want to get to? Because good couples therapy and good relationships are not just about focusing on the problems. Mm -hmm. Actually, we need to have more positive than negative and really focus on the positives as well. Mm -hmm. So if we can start by looking at where they want to get to, how a couple wants to feel mm -hmm. together, and that's often easier to put into yeah. words, then we've got a better chance of getting there. So okay. that's one of the really kind of first steps that we take and then very early on when I'm working with couples I actually do um, short sessions individually so people get right. a chance to put things into words to me that they might struggle to say to each other or that they you know they've been worried about saying because they don't want to hurt the other person so we, we they talk about it with me and that that helps break that barrier of right. putting some of it into words. It's almost like practice. It's like a trial run. Like now they've said it out loud. They're just with you. And then maybe they might be able to, you know, muster up the courage to say it mm -hmm. with a third person in the room, which is probably someone they share a room with most of the time. Absolutely. And I'm going to support them mm. to do that in therapy as well. And the, the thing is when couples start sharing with each other, mm. what they end up saying is, well, I've never really put that into words to my partner before. Mm. And the partner will say, yeah, but I kind of knew that. They they already have yeah. an idea. I mean, body language. Absolutely. Right? And usually they know each other so well. Yeah. They know what's going on, but they neither of them have been able to say it. So ultimately, it can feel like a relief to finally right. be able to, to put it into words because they've both had an idea that it's there anyway. Yeah. And I can imagine for extended periods of time, there is this tug of war between frustration, disappointment and expectations um, going mm -hmm. back and forth whenever, you know, they find themselves in, in a space of intimacy, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be insufferable So, to, to an extent because sometimes I see more individual clients than couples. Mm -hmm. And when I hear these stories, it's like... There, there's such a huge barrier mm. in, in, in getting there to be mm -hmm. able to voice what they need to voice. Mm -hmm. And also the other person, the other partner, the spouse, may not be receptive to couples counseling, yeah. which is, yeah, that, that, like this is where I, you know, I hit like my barriers most mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that? Look, it's really hard. It's really not uncommon for one person to want to come to therapy mm -hmm. more than the other. I um, probably see less of that because mm -hmm. I'm a couples therapist yeah. and a sexologist. So, uh, you know, really, it's really common for one person to want to work more on the emotional side of yeah. the relationship, the other person to want to work more on the sexual side of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So they both feel like they're getting their needs met mm -hmm. by coming to to talk to me. But there is very often resistance. Um, mm -hmm. There's very often a reluctance to come and talk about it. People can feel like they should just be able to figure it out on their own. And, you know, there's almost no area of our lives where we think we should be able to figure it out on our own. It's not like we watch our parents figure it out in front of us. Right. Like, 
Right. Everything else we learn, I mean, if mm. we want to be really good at finances, we just go and get advice about it. We, you know, I'm right. asking my accountant questions all the time. I'm seeking out information. Um, I'm, I'm getting someone to do it for me. Mm. Um, parenting, you know, that's, I mean, another area where we've often thought we've got to figure it out alone. And now we're realizing, oh, there's actually a whole lot of value. Yeah. And, you know, if you wanted to be good at golf, you would go out and you would get lessons. You would learn. Mm. So I think we have to get past this idea that we should be able to do it mm. on our own. And the other kind of really common, I think, myth or belief that gets in the way of couples reaching out is, oh, we're not that bad. And, oh, okay. And I think... It's really important for couples to know it doesn't have to be that bad. You know, mm -hmm. you can come and see someone because you want to keep things on track um, or just because you're noticing things that you know need help. It takes most couples um, an average of seven years mm -hmm. from when they first start experiencing problems to when they eventually get to therapy. Are you serious? Seven, seven years. years. Uh -huh. And obviously in that time... Things are things are getting worse. The yep. tension, the resentment, the distance is building up. So if you can get in there earlier, it's actually the really smart, efficient yeah. step to take. Um, but I also understand that therapy can feel really scary and yeah. there can be some reluctance. So we also, you know, take things step by step. I, I always want my clients to make change fast when they're seeing me. But what's more important to me is that they make change that lasts. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we need to slow things down so that they can really, really kind of get it and that they can embed the changes in yeah. their lives that are going to last well beyond the time they spend with me in yeah. therapy. So that the slowing things down allows for like the experiential learning mm -hmm. that they do, they have together. And then that can, I guess, further crystallize or solidify whatever that they've learned and positive feedback loop, feedback loop again. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the third part, we talked about communication. Mm. What about the third part? in yeah. terms of sexual intimacy, mm. what are the main concerns that come up usually? Mm. I, I know this is not a very sexy answer to that question, mm -hmm. but I'm going to share it anyway. We know through research that the thing that makes the biggest difference to a couple's sexual satisfaction mm -hmm. is being able to talk about sex. Mm. that's the the biggest factor because when they can talk about sex together it's no longer the elephant in the room they can talk together about what they'd like to try yeah. about what feels good for them about what doesn't about you know trying something new together and keeping the variety and curiosity mm. alive so that's often where we start around mm -hmm. sexual intimacy let's open up the conversation about this mm -hmm. um so again so it's not the elephant mm -hmm. in the room so we can start to work out what's going to work for both people around this and then depending on um what the the particular challenges might be um we might go over um some um touch exercises for example so that mm -hmm. they can um go and do some fun homework where they discover how each other likes to be touched, where mm. they get to try new things in the bedroom. 
Um, or we might do just sex education where they can each understand how their bodies work. And, mm-hmm. you know, for example, that women's bodies need at least 20 minutes of foreplay in order to fully prepare for mm. sex. So, and that's something that, that couples can kind of skip over when they get really busy or, yeah. you know, when they're not enjoying sex very much. It's like, oh, let's just get to, you know, what they think is like the main event yeah. and then it can be done. But they're, they're really kind of diminishing both partners' mm. pleasure when, when they do that. So sharing information like that and then helping couples work out um, what they might like to do for foreplay or different mm. things that they might like to try in the bedroom is is part of it as well. So how do these conversations take place with you in the room? Like I'm trying really hard <laughs> I mean, to imagine like... someone saying, well, you know, I really like it when you do this to me. And, and then mm. you're, you're there and you're like, okay, how do you it's feel so about <laughs> Did you enjoy doing that to her? How does it go? It's so normal for me now to like hear really? all kinds of things around around couple sex lives, but also some of those more intimate conversations. I would, for example, give um, when when any couple starts working with me, they get um, a couple's playbook, and it's this really like um, great book that that I've put together with mm-hmm. all the different exercises um, that couples can I'm do. I'm buying a copy. You get, okay, I'm gonna have to give you one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and in the so the you know in the section around sexual intimacy mm-hmm. there's um questions to ask each other around um mm-hmm. you know what what's your favorite position around mm-hmm. sex what's our favorite thing that that we've done together so far how do you really like to be touched how do you mm-hmm. like to touch me do you ever struggle with orgasm um mm-hmm. what can i do to support you in that so some of those more intimate conversations they will often have at home right. and then they'll come back and, and, and I do get intimate details mm. of, of, um, people's sex lives. It's an enormous privilege. Um, yeah, for it's me, so private. It, we, yeah, we so often can't talk about it, but what I, what I do hear my, my clients say, and, and someone said this to me even yesterday is that my comfort levels with it, because I talk about it as if it's anything else in, in, you know, in their lives mm. helps them feel really comfortable around mm. it as well. Okay, so your modeling yeah. and your your general approach to it is is basically teaching them that absolutely. it's okay. It's very permission. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Permission mm. is a is a really big part of it. You know, and it's really practical and and mm. kind of straightforward to me in a lot of yeah. ways. But I know that it's hard if you haven't had these conversations yeah. before. And and what I'm sensing is that there is that clinical style approach here where it is factual and you say it as it is. But at the same time, there's a lot of appreciation around the sensitivity and the relational oh. aspect. So mm-hmm. this, uh, yeah, I'm starting to see why they're different things and how you've blended them together into, oh. you know, your, yeah, your expertise and how mm-hmm. you specialize in this area. And how did you actually fall into this field? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I've been dying to ask you this. (laughs) I don't think I've shared this with you before. But I have thought about it. (laughs) So, um, look, to to be really honest, Mm -hmm. I 
had always been fascinated mm. by sex. And I, you know, went traveling when I was 18. I explored Europe. I had a number of sexual experiences and I really liked sex. I knew that it was something that I enjoyed. At the same time, I felt like I was missing out on whatever it was that made sex amazing. There were ways that I always felt like I was holding myself back. And then okay. in my early 20s, mm-hmm. I ended up um, at a at a music festival in Australia and there were some workshops, um, you know, kind of alongside this, this okay. festival and there was a Tantra workshop. So mm. Tantra, for anyone who hasn't heard of it, is the sexy kind of yoga and Sting kind of credits yoga for helping him have sex for nine hours and have really mind-blowing orgasms. For me, Tantra was the first time I felt like I had really been given permission, that mm. word again, to enjoy sex, that I didn't have to feel guilty about it or feel ashamed about it, that it was okay. And also that sex could actually be a spiritual experience. Mm. And that felt so right to me that I wanted to keep exploring it. I ended up teaching. um, And then not long after I started teaching, a psychologist saw me teach and asked if I would work with his male clients um, who were experiencing erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation and teach them the practical things that I had learned through Tantra. So mindfulness, breath work, how to connect with a partner, how to touch Mm -hmm. a partner. And doing that work, I really came to see just how much challenges with intimacy can Mm -hmm. impact our entire lives. And I also realized that it was a way that I could positively impact people and make them happier Mm. was by helping them have better sex, fix challenges Mm. around sex and, and then have better relationships as a result. Um, And so that's when I went um, back to university. I, it took me a couple of years to really see that there was a career in it because Mm. I hadn't heard of sex therapy, sex toys and Tantra were not kind of what they are in the world now, like 15 years ago. Um, So that's when I went back. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was trauma informed. I wanted to make sure that I could support a couple. That's when I went back and and did my master's and, um, and the postgraduate diploma. Wow. Okay. So this, you were really passionate and you were really Mm. focused because you were sold. Yeah. 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 So you were hooked into the practice and Mm -hmm. all that. And And, sorry. No, and it had made such a difference to my own life, to my own confidence, removing shame around sex and just enjoying Mm. myself more in the bedroom. But it also was a way that, yeah, that I wanted to touch people's lives. Mm. Well, that's actually, that sounds really noble. And I really liked, um, how there is a practical aspect to it and a spiritual aspect to it. Mm. And it makes me think about um, how intimacy is so emotional and emotions Mm -hmm. are are so linked to spirituality Mm -hmm. um, for for those that, you know, um, find that important. And how sex can be such a spiritual experience that you have with somebody and at the same time 
there are some tools that you can use. There are techniques that you can use mm -hmm. to get you there. Kind of like meditation. It's like, yeah, to get there, you have to learn how to breathe a certain way mm -hmm. and regulate your flow and all sorts of things. Center mm -hmm. yourself, ground yourself. Similarly, there are techniques towards being in union with someone. Yes. So it's like both of them have to be somewhat informed. Um, and then, you know, you can go to take things further or higher and be in unison in a completely different plane. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. It's, it's both. It's like bridging between the worlds. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Science of the Soul. This is a short interruption to let you know that if you or someone you know are in need of more support, you can find me at Road to Recovery on my Facebook page, my Instagram, or my website at aroadtorecovery.org. I hope you've enjoyed listening so far, and now let's get back to the podcast. I want to ask you a little bit about being trauma-informed. Mm. I think that's really important and I think, mm. well, from what I've learned, mm -hmm. um, however, you know, um, little it is in, in this particular area mm. in terms of how being sexually comfortable and feeling safe in the bedroom with your trusted partner can have ripple, positive ripple effects mm. and healing effects mm -hmm. in, in your life and, you know, relationships mm -hmm. and just everything else. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how that kind of have that that domino effect? Mm. Well, we know that safe, secure relationships help us feel safer and more secure mm -hmm. as human beings. And then that changes the way we interact with the world. Mm -hmm. uh, that allows us to take more risks, to see other people more positively, mm -hmm. um, to feel like it's easier to go through life. Um, so when I'm working with a couple to improve their relationship or sex life, I'm really looking to bring that stability and that safety and security, knowing that it impacts them as mm -hmm. a couple, but also any children that they have, their immediate family, um, and then that ripples out. Um, to our to our communities you know I'm also aware and this is part of the wanting to be trauma-informed that sex is a really sensitive topic mm -hmm. and I always want to be really mindful um, especially when someone has had past negative experiences around yeah. that that we're doing that in a really safe way because you know if we just force ourselves and for some people who lose their desire, their kind of way of trying to deal with it can be, oh, just do it anyway. Mm. or and, and that just ultimately doesn't work. It just creates a buildup. Yep. So it also comes back to me wanting couples to make change fast, but actually wanting them to make change that's, that's sustainable. And so sometimes that just means taking small steps so that both partners feel really comfortable and safe and know that they can mm -hmm. say no every step of the way so that long-term they have a really solid foundation mm -hmm. around sex. 
Have you ever asked a couple to take sex off the table? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh -huh. To remove the pressure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it's really volatile, it's not forever, and I'm always really careful to say that, but mm -hmm. absolutely, just for the next little while, while we're working through some of these challenges, let's just, let's just mm -hmm. take it off. Let's just take the pressure off it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so slowing down can look like going backwards a little mm. bit, but it is in it is to be able to afford for growth. Yes, that has been missed in that area. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about um, being pressured to to perform sexual acts mm -hmm. and when you've had negative experiences or you know for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about, um, yes, of course, when there's been things like rape or mm -hmm. um, grooming and things like that mm -hmm. that's, that's happened, usually happens when you you are vulnerable mm -hmm. and, and, yeah, in an unsafe environment and your trust has been shattered. Mm -hmm. So do you refer certain individuals from the couple? Mm -hmm. um, to, to, to take, to get like, you know, like trauma counseling? Yeah, it really depends on where they're at okay. in their in their healing journey. Uh, around that, um, some couples find that they feel like they've worked on a certain issue, but it's actually there a little bit more mm -hmm. um, than, than they realized. Um, I think there's a lot of value on working um, on those kind of challenges within a couple um, dyad, but very often for a whole range of reasons, I'll recommend that one or both uh, partners um, go and get individual mm. therapy as well, because yeah. I think couples therapy and individual therapy can be really great supports yeah. for each other, just depending on on what's going on. Yeah, because they, they do complement in very different ways, mm -hmm. but very powerfully. From yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And... I also wanted to ask you this this other thing. I'm just writing notes as we speak. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about psychoeducation or psychosexual education mm. when um, couples get older oh, and yeah. bodies change. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the myths or expectations? Because mm. um, I've done a project on this mm -hmm. um, and I created a treatment manual mm. back in the day um, for... Um, Mature couples, oh. when they, you know, start to transition into different physiological mm -hmm. stages mm -hmm. um, and what to expect and how to, yeah. you know, deal with each other. But there was many, 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 I wouldn't even call them moons, like earth rotations ago. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us some, a few things that come to mind? Yeah, and I would love to hear anything that you have um, to add on this as, sure. as well. If I can remember. <laughs> Look, I think one of the, the biggest things around sex and aging is a belief that we get to a certain age, and particularly for women, right, that mm -hmm. we get to a certain age and then we're just not sexual anymore mm -hmm. or we're not interested in sex anymore. And we just know that that is not necessarily true. And, in fact, for women, we know that if women get into a new relationship at any age, their desire spikes really? massively. Mm -hmm. So it's the long-term relationships, actually. If you're in a long-term relationship, we do find that desire kind of plateaus and dips or flatlines for some people. But if a woman gets into a new relationship, her desire spikes. Okay. So firstly, I think what we have to know is that it is possible 
um, to, to continue to enjoy a really satisfying sex life mm-hmm. all the way through um, your, your life. That's, that's the first thing, that, that we can have um, that, that, that mindset. Mm. Sexuality and how we enjoy it will change throughout our lives and it will change for different periods mm-hmm. in our lives and it will, of course, change um, as, as we age. Mm-hmm. So some of those things, particularly um, for women, are as our hormone balance changes, um, we don't lubricate as much. Mm-hmm. Um, the skin um, around the vagina um, a- uh, atrophies, mm-hmm. so it becomes thinner, um, so it can be more painful. Um, we we tend to have kind of diminished um, sexual pleasure mm-hmm. um, in some ways, and it can be harder to reach orgasm. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not possible or that it's not still enjoyable or that we don't still enjoy all the other amazing aspects of sex, like mm-hmm. closeness and emotional intimacy as well. Um, for men, function also changes mm-hmm. as they age. So for men at 50, uh, there's a 50% chance that they will experience erectile dysfunction. At 60, it's 60%, 70 and okay. 70%, 80, it's 80%. So why do you call it dysfunction if it's... If it's actually normal, normal that's yeah. such a great question. That's it's such a great question. I hate question. that word. Let's never use I that know. again. And as I was uh, okay, fantastic. And as I was saying to someone yesterday, an inability to get an erection or to keep an erection doesn't mean that you can't still feel mm-hmm. incredible pleasure. Um, and for so many women, it's like they will say, "I don't mind." if he has yeah. an erection or not, let's do other things. Like amazing. Let's take that off the table. Let's pleasure each other yeah. in other ways. So again, that, that kind of mindset shift to perhaps changing the way you see sex or changing some of the beliefs you have about sex, you can still enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so curious to hear if you would, I mean, they're the things there's obviously maybe some more detail, but they're mm. the kind of most important things that that come up mm. for me. I'm so curious about what what My you project. remember. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the eighty twenty rule, mm. which is um, expect for twenty percent of the time that either of you may not finish. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, mm. um, and if it if if it just, you know, one or the other is having obstacles or, mm-hmm. you know, something happens and mm-hmm. it's hard to continue to just lay down together and talk yeah, and cuddle and, and just other forms of intimacy that doesn't have to be penetrational. Absolutely. Word. Yeah. But yeah. It could just be closeness. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember... Uh, learning about taking time mm. so actually not expecting things to happen like it used to in you know when, when mm-hmm. couples were younger um, like just giving more time to each other because not that it, it's not it, yeah it's, it's not like they don't want it or they can't get there it's just that the body takes a while Absolutely. As you get older, physiologically. Um, And that's so important for women, particularly as they don't lubricate the way unrealistic expectations of how quickly 
women should lubricate or how lubricated they should be mm. a lot of the time anyway but certainly as you know as we age and I include myself in that mm. um lubrication changes so mm. and absolutely like adding something in like a lubricant at any age can enhance pleasure but especially mm. if if the skin feels feels delicate so mm. time is yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah time and now that you, you talked about lubrication I remember um writing in my report my treatment manual that yeah to to use aids and they're not really to, and like not to actually think about them as aids but more like um compliments mm -hmm. compliments to the active intimacy mm -hmm. um just because you are older but you got older together yeah which is something to to think about not to keep looking back i was able to do this and be attached to some form of performance that that was um achieved or attained like a decade ago mm -hmm. but to recognize that you know you're human and that you do change you are aging like you probably have children they've grown mm -hmm. they've gone through puberty what makes you think you'll still be you know like you biologically you've passed you know reproductive mm -hmm. ages yeah. and we live so much longer now yeah um so i guess putting it in perspective in an existential level and it more like um and 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 looking at the marriage and the relationship mm. rather than that as a singular event mm -hmm. that was what i remember taking away from actually mm. creating that manual um that everything becomes normalized that you yeah. can't expect that to be the same because like this many years have passed absolutely like our bodies change mm -hmm. in so many different ways and of course they change sexually yeah. as well i think the aids is like a, a really good um another really good point whether mm -hmm. it's like sex toys or you know toys to help erection mm -hmm. or reach orgasm or even just pillows or you know uh, wedges that you can thing. get to support the body because the yeah. body doesn't you know kind of even like being on your knees yeah for a certain period of time gets harder when you age but there's a whole lot out there now that can support that as oh, well. I didn't even think of that yeah mm. rug burns yeah and such and <laughs> and just painful yeah, yeah painful knees you get some pillows mm. you get I mean and they're great for anyone because you can get use pillows to help you get different angles better angles yeah, but and true. support the body so the body doesn't have to be holding itself up yeah. where yeah if it might struggle to do that yeah that's a, yeah good point yeah um, oh, well, i think we're learning a lot together so mm -hmm. far um i wanted to ask you another thing two two other things that mm. just came to mind while we mm. while we were speaking and the first one is what is your take on love languages oh yeah so I think they can be really useful. Mm -hmm. um, I yeah, I've seen them be really, really useful to a lot of couples that I've worked with, and I've heard a lot of great reports about them. I think the thing that I'm cautious of around love languages is that it is not necessarily a fix-all in a relationship. Right. So I um, work um, partly with the Gottman method yep. of couples therapy so that's 40 years of research on what works in in relationships and and what kind of predicts the end of a relationship and love languages 
fits into a part of that which is um, turning towards each other, knowing each other's needs, but we still need to learn how to communicate, um, how to repair after an argument. We have to continue to get to know each other. It's one part of like one part of a healthy relationship and it can be really useful, but there's also more that we have to remember to look at. So which, are you talking about all the love languages? Mm. What if someone comes around and says that, you know, my wife's love language is touch, mm -hmm. but mine isn't. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that? Is it something you can learn, bridge? So my questions would be around, okay, so how is this showing up in the relationship? And what are the underlying emotions mm -hmm. and relational needs that are there? Let's talk about those. Let's bring those out mm -hmm. into the open. And then ultimately, I think it's going to be more than that's my love language. Mm. And he doesn't do that. Um, I think there's going to be more going on yeah. than, than just that. But we would start by talking about it and then find more ways that they can connect and communicate with each other so that they're both feeling really, really loved. Often the things that we think we want to help us feel loved don't actually necessarily get to the the deepest yeah. levels that we want them to. And so couples will often kind of describe, oh, my partner said they wanted all these things, but then it feels like the goalposts keep changing. It's because there's a deeper relational yeah. need that Not isn't being met, being met that mm -hmm. we have to to get to. But that's really hard often to, to figure out on our mm -hmm. own. We just know that we want to feel more loved and we think this is the way to do it. So, you know, part of my role mm -hmm. is to really help couples dig down and, and look and get to the, really the core of mm -hmm. what's going on. Yeah, because it's interesting you mentioned this. I've had this floating around in my head from time to time that the five love languages um, that we know, which is here. <laughs> Acts of service, quality yes. time, words of affirmation, gift giving, and... Words of affirmation? Oh, gosh. Touch, no? Yes, touch. touch. Thank okay. you. So that's the... Okay, yeah. Um, I lost myself there because I know my love language is food and it's not one of the five. Mm. But it is an act of service. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, no. I get mm -hmm. it now. But I, I always thought that they were just ways to identify and communicate. I yeah. never found them diagnostically useful. No, you're right. They're not a whole relationship um, yeah. theory or diagnostic tool. Yeah. They're they're a useful tool. But mm. It's like yeah. a starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what is... So you see couples. Mm. And where does monogamy, polygamy, mm -hmm. open relationships, mm -hmm. and infidelity, how do they play out in your practice? Oh, wow. That is um, do you a see huge that? question. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we know that relationships don't need to be monogamous mm -hmm. to have safety and to have longevity. And uh, I think if couples don't want to choose 
to be monogamous, that is a really valid decision and I've still worked with couples who've, who've made that decision okay. for themselves. Um, I think the, you know, and the, the really clear difference between any kind of open relationship and polyamory and infidelity mm-hmm. is the way that that's openly discussed. Mm-hmm. So infidelity is another um you know, relatively common topic mm. that shows up in, in couples therapy. And uh, it is possible for couples to work through that. Mm. I've worked with a number of couples who have either experienced infidelity in the past or have recently experienced infidelity mm. and want to repair their relationship. Um, that's a, a huge kind of topic to talk about. But mm. I, I am really passionate that couples can have different forms of relationship that work for them. And it's not up to me to tell them what their relationship mm-hmm. should look like. It's it's my role to give them the tools mm-hmm. so that their relationship is the best that, that it, it can, can be. be. Right. Um, infidelity is something that couples can overcome. And mm-hmm. there's so much shame that goes along with that, shame for the person who who cheated shame for the person who stays Mm -hmm. um even though they've been cheated on there's a whole lot for couples to work through and it can be done yeah because if you think about it you know trust is if it's infidelity so that means one person doesn't know Mm -hmm. so trust is broken there Mm -hmm. it is a traumatic event Mm -hmm. whenever trust is broken Mm -hmm. um and then that definitely would affect what happens in the bedroom yes so whatever that's not talked about Mm -hmm. will play out physically Mm -hmm. and then it becomes the elephant in the bedroom as well and to be able to diffuse that can help reparation and i remember Mm -hmm. growing up learning not Mm. learning hearing um women i don't know i just hear this a lot from women who are older around me because I was so young you know you just receive implicit messages mm. I don't I can't pinpoint exactly from who or where but this was a recurring message that the leopard doesn't change its spots mm. or the tiger doesn't change his stripes which means once a cheater always a cheater mm. um and as I've grown older um actually from from adolescence onwards so not necessarily clued in you know psychologically or anything but mm. Just um, experientially, just feeling and thinking through things. I'm like, is that really true? Mm. Is that actually really true? Because it's a choice that people make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there is. Um, I don't think that that is a fair kind of statement mm. to make. Um, people make mistakes. People have affairs for a whole lot of. Um, reasons and um and i have certainly seen couples recover and then go on to have um really satisfying close connected relationships Mm. that where the infidelity doesn't occur again Mm. Mm. and often you see that yeah like the relational needs are not met Mm -hmm. or there's some other suffering down down, like Mm -hmm. in the depths of their hearts and souls and Mm -hmm. minds and undiscussed or you know traumatic events that happened when they were young (coughs) that you know they might not have full um conscious cognitive control and Mm -hmm. it's like on one hand yes there's this responsibility and accountability 
And on the other hand, how do you navigate um, being compassionate and non-judgmental, but mm -hmm. also being accountable and responsible? Mm -hmm. um, and I can imagine that quite, yeah, being quite, quite a hairy thing to work mm -hmm. through, but also very rewarding mm -hmm. um, yeah. in the process and at the end, yeah. the outcome. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, any issue that I'm working with a couple on. It's so rewarding to mm. to see them reach a level of closeness again that mm. they weren't sure they would they would ever find again. Yeah, that, that that is quite wonderful. Do you ever get kids coming in like the the children chiming in or adult children or anything like that? Um I sometimes get uh get photos of uh, couples that I've worked with who've gone on to to have kids and oh, I'll get a photo, nice. a wedding picture or a baby photo. Um, that's, mm. that's always super sweet when I, when I get that. Cause they acknowledged you. Yeah. 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 And they know, I always say that to couples when they leave, please keep me updated. Let me know how everything is going. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've been a kind of a part of their, their lives. So yeah. they'll, they'll share that with me. It's, it's really special. Oh yeah. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. And now that you mentioned babies, um, couples who are trying to conceive, but struggling, mm -hmm. do you get that as well? I do. Okay. I do. Um, I, um, and I often get couples, um, sometimes I get couples in the middle of that journey, but very often I get couples um, a little bit further down the line oh. of that journey in that um, when often when couples are trying to conceive and particularly if they're having to, um, you know, use IVF and yeah. that is such a consuming yeah. kind of time for them that, yeah, their relationship is challenged, sex is challenged, but they they don't have a lot of space for for dealing with more than um, mm. than conception and then pregnancy and and all of those things. So it's often um, often couples where they've had a, a baby where mm. they've struggled to conceive, and the baby's now like a couple of years old or a few years older, and essentially they they there were some ruptures in the relationship that never fully got resolved or challenges in their sex life that never really got back on track um, after the, the, the hugely emotional time of trying to conceive. So I will um, work with couples during but also um, at the end of that journey so that they can re reconnect their relationship. Yeah, yeah, it is a very consuming process from mm. what I've learned and mm. understood from others and some of my clients as well. And yeah, it's just all you think about, your counting, mm -hmm. your, your consumption, mm -hmm. it's like you have to be on a certain diet, you're looking at the calendar. It becomes so clinical, the process, mm -hmm. that um, you lose spontane spontaneity. Spontaneity, yeah, spontaneity. There you go. <laughs> um, you lose you lose the magic mm -hmm. um, that you probably once had because you're hyper focused and for mm -hmm. good reason because you're probably like putting a lot of money and time into mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, which makes me wonder how often, if you can give me like a percentage or one a uh, number out of ten, how often do you sense that or refer clients or couples to go to the to seek medical advice mm. given you know their presentations 
Oh, so that's an interesting question. If it's around conception, um, they usually have done that on their mm. own accord. Um, sometimes, though, um, and actually I have not had this myself, but I have, I know a number of colleagues that have, um, that have kind of had this challenge, um, often with clients who may, for example, be from India, um, and are living in Australia, the, the actual mechanics of how sex works or should work, um, is a little bit of a mystery to them. So they'll be really confused as to why, um, they're not getting pregnant and um, they'll end up at a sex therapist, like a, a doctor um, or fertility specialist will send them back to a sex therapist um, and the sex therapist will kind of find that um, actually they're essentially not having penetrative sex. So that's mm. why they're not becoming um, pregnant. I sometimes refer for other reasons like pain during sex. And if, if someone is showing up with... Um, erectile challenges, um, uh, pain during sex, or um, it, there's a uh, there's a kind of a whole range of other things. I'll often uh, ref ask them to go and see their GP or a gynecologist or a urologist um, to, to make sure that the physical things are being taken care of while we work on what might be psychological or mm. emotional as well. So how often does that usually happen for you? Um, that's not as common oh, really? for okay. me. Um, largely, I'm working with couples who there is not actually a, a kind of physical challenge. Mm. It's arguments or, um, oh. you know, losing, losing desire, not knowing how to enjoy sex okay. or, or individuals who are experiencing those challenges as well. But it is something that, that um, you know, sex therapists will sometimes work in, um, in combination mm -hmm. with doctors and gynecologists, pelvic floor physios as well. Right, yeah, I can mm -hmm. imagine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, what advice do you have to give for us listeners? Um, one, maybe one key takeaway message on how to love yourself more mm. so that you can love the other oh that's a really good question but I think that point is um is a really good one I think we have to know ourselves in order to have happier and stronger relationships and part of what I mean by that is really knowing what is happening for us in this moment What's going on for me? What are my emotions? What are my needs that I'm longing for or that aren't being met? Because only when we know that can we effectively communicate that and send out the bridge to to another mm -hmm. human being. And, and that's really the, the foundation mm -hmm. of healthy relationships. So learning to tune into ourselves mm -hmm. and know ourselves, know what's going on for us and then be able to to communicate it would kind of be what I would want to to mm -hmm. send out there as a as a as a takeaway message so being mindful and slowing down within mm -hmm. yourself first yeah. yeah so you're clear mm -hmm. about it not like being tugged at by emotions and feelings of rejection and all these sort of things yes without knowing what's actually going on for you physiologically um 
and emotionally deep down yes you know? um what how do you how do you tune in with yourself what do you do mm, so for me uh i mean meditation it's a form of meditation so um so i have a mantra mm-hmm. meditation um and and a kind of a hindu ceremony that mm-hmm. i do every morning but i also knowing that i'm going to be working with a lot of people closely through the day make sure that i take time to do my self care that i eat well that i spend time walking and not talking to anyone yeah. um, having kind of silence being in nature where i can moving my body mm. um all of those things that uh, allow me to kind of process what's going on and to slow down to have my nervous system slow down. Mm. So does that equate to I guess activating the parasympathetic nervous system mm. to an extent? Yeah. Um I just I think of it as really just calming my nervous yeah. system, like really really working on calming that mm. in in the ways that I can. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I've learned so much. It's been really really enjoyable actually. Yeah, I love yeah. this. Great uh, questions. Thank you. Well, I mean, I don't know, they just come up <laughs> as we talk. Um, but no, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really really appreciate it. Um, we tried to do this before, but mm. we couldn't get together, but I'm glad you're feeling better now and we can we can do this. For those who are listening, um, Asaya can be reached through her website, mm-hmm. which is Asaya dash so hyphen mm-hmm. Kimi. So that will be I S I A H dash M C K I double M I E dot com. Yes, yes, she has a website with her own name, so that's very easy to remember. <laughs> She's also on Instagram, and her mm-hmm. handle is Isaiah Makimi one word mm-hmm. dot sexologist. Mm-hmm. That's yep. it. That's right. Mm. Yep. And if you read the news, mm. like you know, ten percent of the population now. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, if you read the news online, which is everyone, mm-hmm. um, at news.com.au, you write under relationship rehab. Mm-hmm. And how often does that it's come every up? week? Every week, um, people send me their questions. So yeah, relationship rehab or Asaya McKimmy, and you'll you'll find me fairly easily. Okay. And do you have space for new clients at the moment? Um, we have a little, a short waiting list, um, mm-hmm. at the moment, but what I'm working on putting together right now, um, is an online course for couples so I can mm. help serve people that I don't have space to see, um, right. individually or people who are not quite sure if they're ready for therapy or really for those couples who just want to improve what's already good. So there is a, there will be a way that I can support mm. you, um, whether it's in, um, you know, on I give away a lot of advice on Instagram, uh, the online course or, or in therapy. Mm. Okay, that's great because if you are proactive and you want to do something about your relationship or you just want to jazz it up a little bit mm-hmm. more, you know, you can actually wait for your online program to come out yes which is is awesome and just go to your instagram yeah absolutely okay yeah well that's all folks that's an hour thank you very much one last time thank you